Welcome back to episode four of 40 Love, the tennis podcast where you get all the information you need to know in 40 minutes or less. I am Jonathan Strom, and as always, I am joined by the great Andrew Stewart. Andrew, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I like the great part. Thank you. Yes, that was my uh, my attempt at being a great podcast. <laughs> um, very busy time of the year, of course. Second week of a Grand Slam going on right now. As we're recording this, the quarterfinals for the men and women are set and are getting underway tonight. What a week one it was, Andrew. Capped off by day five, which was one of the most wild days in tennis Recent tennis memory, probably since 2013 Wimbledon, the third day where there were all these retirements and you had Federer losing. And from the Canadian perspective, that's kind of when Jeannie Bouchard had her big breakthrough win over Annie Ivanovich. And it was a crazy day. This was similar. There were two matches going on at the same time. Serena Williams and Caroline Wozniacki, they were both crazy important matches and really intense matches. Later in the night, there was Naomi Osaka getting upset. Stefano Tsitsipas was kind of lost in the shuffle that he lost. Same with Madison Keys. But let's start with the big story, I think, from the first week in the first four rounds of this event. That's Serena Williams. She loses to Wong Chung. She battled extremely hard in the second set to get back in it before losing 7-5 in the third. What can you say about Serena? Is this the beginning of the end? Or is it, are we even later on in that process for her? Ah. <sighs> Boy, it uh, like you said, it was it was tough to watch. Um, I thought she could pull it off, but her opponent came to play, and that seems to be the issue nowadays. Everybody gets so amped up to play Serena, whether it's in the first round or it's a final. Everybody brings their A game, and her opponent surely brought it on Friday. Absolutely, you can't take anything away from Wang Chung. She got crushed by Serena at the U.S. Open. 6-1, 6-love. In 44 minutes, she won 15 points in the entire match. She didn't hit a single winner. So good for Wong to take that performance and move on from it. She's a lot fitter, a lot stronger, and she played really well. But to me, Serena, her movement was not good in this match. This is a match she typically wins, and I just think her age really showed in this match, and she was just unable to get up for it. And the pressure, I think, of these Grand Slams is starting to get to her. I, I would, de- in past, I would debate you on that. But it, watching that particular match, I, I would have to agree that it was the pressure of trying to get to that final and then trying to win that final. Um, I think it is starting to get to her. You talked about her, her footwork her footwork is never really good early on in matches, and then she usually gets into it. And this one, um, her opponent just kept... I, I think it gets to the point where, I, I'm looking at myself, I could see getting frustrated. I've broken this girl before. I've worn her down before, and she keeps returning. And she hit some, uh, she hit some great shots, and it, they were just returned back. And after a while, you start to say, holy how what do I have to do to beat this person yeah but she's Serena Williams and she has the weapons to beat Wong Chung even on Wong Chung's best day which this was and Serena was very close to beating her even though it was Wong Chung's best day so I think that is a huge disappointment I think it's one of her earliest losses in a Grand Slam really since the French Open in 2012 when she lost to Virginie Rosano in the first round and that loss really was a catalyst for her. She went to Wimbledon and won that. She dominated the Olympics. She wins the U.S. Open. 
And what she did after that match at the French Open was hire her coach, Patrick Muradoglu, who she still has now. I wonder if change has to be made, not necessarily moving on from him. They have a great relationship, but they need to sit down and figure out what it's going to take because time is running out. She's 38, and the players are just, there's so many good players right now on the tour, outside of the top players, even. Well, you said it with her last early exit. It was a, a determined, she came back more determined and Listening to Patrick talk about how she felt after this particular match, he said she's angry. So could we see a, a re-energized and a, and a more um, determined Serena moving forward? Uh, I don't know. I think at 38, it's a lot harder than at 31. So it's going to be really interesting to see how she looks at the French Open, which I don't think she's probably going to put too much stock into, but especially at Wimbledon this year. And if these early losses start to happen again and again, that is typically when, as a top player, you know that it's time to hang it up. And I think she's, she desperately wants that 24, and she's going to have to find a way to just relax. And it's unfortunate because she's chasing this record that is not meaningful. Margaret Court's record, she won so many of those 24 Grand Slams at the Australian Open. And it's unfortunate that Serena has to spend the end of her career chasing this on the men's side, you have Roger Federer, who's basically, he's doing a, like a victory lap. Yeah. Uh, he can like relax. He has the 20. He's ahead of everyone. Everything from here is gravy for his career. And Serena somehow has to find a way to just let the pressure go and just not worry about that 24 and just play. It's easier said easier than done. Easier said than done. Easier right. said it's than too done. bad that she's, because we should be celebrating the end of her career, not, you know, the way we are with Federer. And with Serena, it's just so much pressure to win this 24. And unfortunately, you know, a lot of time has passed since the last Grand Slam. So we'll see if she gets it done. Um, from one end of the age spectrum to the other, Coco Goff had another really impressive Grand Slam reaching the fourth round. Um, and the big win came over Naomi Osaka. It should be noted that Osaka played a really poor match. Uh, nonetheless, no. Goff won it. Yeah. Um, they don't ask you how. That's true. Um, she lost Goff to Kennan in the fourth round, and that was the first real opponent that her first three opponents, Venus Williams, Cerstea, and Osaka, are really power players and more error-prone, and Kennan really gets a lot of balls back. Um, but the excitement level for Goff really up again. Again, she's only 15. What do we make of this result? Well, I have to say I was impressed by Kennan. This was a big win for her, too. Absolutely. You, you have a, a, a young Coco who is a fan favorite who's coming into the match really hot. And Kennan um, got up uh, early service breaks in all three sets um, and really took Coco out of her game. And there's so much pressure for, you know, even for Kennan, who's only 20, yeah. 21, facing a 15-year-old. And Osaka talked about yeah. it. You don't want to lose to a 15-year-old. And uh, even though Goff you know, I was aided by Osaka's struggles. I mean, the thing that impressed me the most was how mentally tough she is, how fierce she is on the court. I thought her serve was a lot better than it was last year, and I thought she looked stronger physically. I think she might be a bit taller also. She's still growing at 15. Yeah. And I think it's really, you know, I think the sky's the limit, but it's still very early in the process. Um, to think of her as a multi-time Grand Slam champion, just so much can happen between now and even... When she's 18, injuries. I was going to say, yeah, 18, 19 is still a long way yeah, away. Yeah, so, I mean, there's a lot of room for growth, but I, so I, I just don't think you can foresee the future with her. And really a great win for Kennan. 
Uh, I think after last year, she didn't make the quarterfinals of any Grand Slam. She played really well in the tour level. And for her, I think this is like a, a result that's expected for her because she's really had that breakthrough year. And now she's going to be a huge favorite against Anjabur, who ended Caroline Wozniacki's career and then beat Wong, who beats, you know, after the Serena match, kind of took advantage of that. Wong was tired. So Kenan will be a huge favorite in that one. Remember, Kenan was also the WTA's most improved player in 2019. Um very, I, I don't know if you call her emotional um, on the court, but I think she's someone who controlled her emotions in this match and didn't let the crowd, the crowd was uh, for Coco and, and Kenan managed to keep it together and pull it out. So good on her. Yeah, it's a great win. She plays, I think a really, you know, she's not the biggest hitter, but she can hit the ball deep and she's very focused and very determined. She's a great fighter out there. And I think she's got a real shot to make the semis. And once you're there, who knows what will happen. Yeah. Um, the other quarterfinal in the top half for the women is really the big quarterfinal. Ash Barty mm-hmm. is the number one seed. And the draw is kind of a lot of players, Osaka, Serena, have bowed out. Now Barty is really the favorite. And she'll take on Petra Kvitova. Both players have looked really good. Uh, let's start with Barty. I thought there was going to be pressure on her as the number one player, being from Australia. But she's handled it really well, and she looks like the favorite here. Yeah, it seems like a lot. How can she fly under the radar being an Australian in her home tournament? But she seems, with all the other big upsets, she sort of got, found her way into these quarters um, with some strong play. I, I've been impressed with how she's handled herself. She doesn't seem like she's let the pressure get to her. Um, this is a match uh, between her and Kitova, Kavitova, who might be the winner, might be the Aussie. We might be looking at the Potentially, Aussie Potentially, yeah. yeah. And Kavitova, two-time Grand Slam champion. It should be noted for Barty that she's she is kind of flying under the radar, but in Australia, I mean, she is the story. Mm-hmm. So she's handled that really well. And that's going to be a big-time match against Kavitova. She was a finalist here last year, uh, and she's playing really well. She came from a setback to beat Sakari in the fourth round. And that one is going to be, certainly the winner of that one will be a huge favorite to make the finals of this event. Um, in the bottom half of the draw, it's a little more open. And talking about flying under the radar, two-time Grand Slam champion Simona Halep. Mm-hmm. Really, no one talking about her going into this event, but she's just taking care of business. She's yet to lose a set. She's had a pretty good draw. Um, beat a quality player in Elise Mertens in the last round. Now she faces Annette Contevite in her That'll be Contevite's first Grand Slam quarterfinal. I think Halep has got to be someone to really look out for because she's proven that she can win Grand Slams, and she was a finalist here a couple of years ago, so yeah, she can definitely win this one. Yeah. Any thoughts on why you know she's? Or I, I think she's a she's a veteran, and she's playing she's playing like a veteran. She's handled everything. She's had good players uh, face her across the net, and she's taking care of business. Um, I, we don't give her much credit, I think, sometimes. I, I think she's almost forgotten um, how good she is, you know, um, world number three. And she has an all-world game, you know, good serves, good returns, everything. And she's brought it to this tournament. Yeah, and I think now that she's won the first Grand Slam, it's just helped her in a sense. Whereas for, like, Naomi Osaka winning that Grand Slam young, it's kind of put pressure on her. But for Halep, it took so long to win yeah. that first one. And I think also winning the second one just give her gives her more belief that she can do it. Um, she is known to sometimes kind of throw a stinker in 
like in the quarters or the semis, so you never know. But she does look to be in really good shape, and I think she'll be a huge favorite against Kontovite. Uh The other quarterfinal will be between Anastasia Pavlyuchenkova and Garbina Muguruza, and Muguruza is definitely someone who's been struggling last year. She really struggled, but she's back with Conchita Martinez. She's unseated at this event, which is very strange, considering she's won two Grand Slams. But the thing about Muguruza is she won both of those Grand Slams kind of no one really thought she was going to. She had really poor form when she won Wimbledon a couple of years ago. And now she's playing really well. She crushed Alina Spitalina in the third round and then had no problems with Kiki Burton's in the fourth round. So she looks really good also. Muguruza, 2018, uh, her first Grand Slam final since 2018 at Roland Garros, I believe. Well, she's in the quarterfinals now. And yeah, yeah, first since then, she she won Wimbledon in 2017 and then she kind of has fallen off and everyone kind of thought when she broke through, she was like this big power player that she's going to be the next Serena, next Venus Serena kind of incarnation. She hasn't done that, but she's certainly capable. Do you have an an answer for why she hasn't done that? There seems to be a lot of players in the women's draw that are, you know, rise to the heights and then fall away and then a couple of years later you they find themselves back in the mix do, do you have a, an answer for why this is happening you know tennis is a confidence sport and one bad loss can kind of lose the confidence she had a trying relationship with sam sumik her previous coach who's now actually working with pavlyuchenkova who she faces so that's kind of an interesting subplot to that match but they had a lot of testy on-court exchanges during their time and she just couldn't figure it out with him And I think sometimes it's just the voice in her head. You know, Conchita Martinez was with her when she won Wimbledon in 2017, and now they're back together. So clearly that partnership works, and maybe that's just something that she needs to stick with. And if Conchita is available, and that could mean a lot of good things for Magrutha. She's obviously too talented to not be in the top 32. Former world number one, if I'm not correct. that is right. So, I mean, we've seen this before. A lot of players on the women's tour, it's just there's a lot of good players, and if you're not playing your best... Even if you're a great player, then you know other players Somebody's can beat you. Beat you. Yeah. It's a different time than it was maybe 15 years ago. So that's the quarterfinals for the women's side. Uh, really interesting groups of players. You have the Grand Slam champions and Barty, Kvitova, Muguruza, and Halep. And then you have four players who have never even made a slam quarter before. The, sorry, a slam semi. So that's Jabur, Kenin, Pavlyuchenkova, and Kontovite. So definitely the four that have won Grand Slams, I think are one of them will probably win this event. But... You never know with the way the others are playing. Now let's talk about the men. And it's been a really good Australian Open for a Canadian, but not the Canadian people expected. <laughs> uh, Milos Raonic, who has yet to lose a set. He's yet to drop his serve. He beat Pass. He's beaten Chilich. So these are really good wins. And now he faces Novak Djokovic, who he's 0-9 against. And Djokovic is a big favorite in this one. Does Milos have a chance in this one? I think he does. I, I should be asking you that question. If this is a podcast, if we could all see Jonathan is patting himself on the back right now because he called this right from the start. He said Milos is going to have a big tournament. You actually called this victory uh, his Well, I victory. wasn't sure about it. The way he played in his first couple matches made me believe he was going to beat Tsitsipas. And I thought he was going to beat him in straight sets, which he did. And, you know, maybe... That was a bit fortunate for me, but he did beat Pass in straight sets. Okay. It is what it is. Um, I think Milos is, I like the, what he's doing, and he's not expending a lot of energy on return points when he doesn't need to. He got ahead of Chilich in the second set, and he wasn't 
working super hard to break serve every time. He was just taking care of business. He was serving outstanding in that match. Yep. 35 aces, and he's going to have to serve like that against Djokovic is and leading, probably better. Is he leading the tournament in aces? I, I think believe he has so. over 80, yeah. 83. And he's donating money to every ace, which is oh, great is also. So some yeah. motivation there. And I thought the best I ever saw Milos play was at the Australian Open in 2016 when he was in the semifinals and he got injured in that match against Andy Murray, which he was up two sets to one. And that match, he was expending so much energy on every return and every point. And I think now he's just worrying about the serve. And to beat Djokovic, you're going to have to serve perfectly. You can't even have cl- like a little bit of an off day. You're going to have to serve huge and then just kind of hope that Novak gives you some openings. Um, it's going to be extremely difficult. You know, it's possible, but right now Djokovic is the huge favorite until shown otherwise, and he's really had no problems so far. Well, like you said, I th- um, the fact that uh, Milos hasn't done those marathon five setters and the body's breaking down and medical timeouts, he's he's played efficiently, and I don't I, I guess I kind of hope he can I think he can do it against uh, the Joker. You know, with nine and zero against the Joker or zero and nine against the Joker, it's going to be tough. And he's like you said, he's got to get his serves in. But uh, I think there's a chance. There's, You know, with his serve, I mean, he might be the player best suited to beat these top guys left in the draw. He's serving really well, and he's going to have to keep that up against Djokovic, who's a tremendous returner, who really showed no problems beating Diego Schwartzman in the last round. Of course, that's a very different player to Raonic. But you're going to have to be on your A game and probably play some tie breaks. And in those tie breaks, when the close points happen and, you know, the opportunities arise, you have to take advantage of that and... I think for Ranich, the most you can hope for is just have an opportunity, you know, in a tie break or have a break point at some point and see if you can take advantage of that. But in those nine meetings, he has only won two sets of the 23. So it hasn't necessarily been close, but in their most recent meeting in Cincinnati, 2018, he did win a set there. So in the most recent meeting, it was a close match. And I think what's unique about this Australian Open is that Djokovic is just a huge favorite, even over Federer and Nadal. And usually... In these men's tournaments, it's like one of the big three is going to win. But this time it really is like people think Djokovic is going to win and Nadal and Federer even people think like they just can't beat Djokovic. He's won this event seven times. He's playing great. Is that fair? You know, that Djokovic should just be the huge favorite because, I mean, he's proven he crushed Nadal in the finals here last year. He beat Nadal earlier this year already. So is there, you know, is he unstoppable? I think you have to say he is unstoppable. There's three players. Rogers doing the victory lap. Uh, Rafa is the one to me, the one person who could um, stop the Djokovic train. But you, we already said he's handled him pretty well the last little bit. So I, I think it's fair to, that the Joker is the one that everybody's sort of laying down and saying, "Hey, this guy's the one." You know, until he loses. He's going to win. I just wonder if it's too easy to this point. And he's had a pretty good draw against guys that he can really overpower. You know, he's going to have to beat Raonic, Federer, and Nadal to win this title, most likely. And that's tough. So certainly he's the huge favorite. I'm I'm looking at 6-3, 6-4, 6-4 against um, Schwartzman. You you can't argue with that. He's serving well. There's nothing... I do believe he had a medical timeout in in his last match, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know if I'm not sure that about up. that. Um, 
he was serving really well. And Schwartzman's one of the best returners in the game, and he was just having no luck against Djokovic's serve. So when he's got that going as well, plus the amazing return and just the overall solidness of his game, he's really tough to beat. Uh, that being said, he, you know, Federer almost beat him at Wimbledon, and Nadal has beaten him before. So I don't think it's a given, but he's certainly... I don't remember a time in like the big three, big four era where one of them was really so much far above everyone, right. the other ones in everyone's mind. Um, so Djokovic places Raonic, and then the other quarterfinal will be Federer against Sandgren in the bottom half. That's Tennis Sandgren, who's <laughs> done a nice work this tournament. It's actually his second Australian Open quarterfinal in three years. He's ranked 100 in the world, so a great story. Yep, good for him. And I wonder if Federer is vulnerable. He barely beat John Millman. He had to come back from 8-4 in the final set tiebreak, win the last six points. He dropped the first set in his last match to Fuksevics before turning it around. Do those results, is that, you know, a cause for concern in his hopes of winning this tournament? Or do those tests need to happen for him to get through that, to build momentum towards the finish line? I'm not one who likes to comment on age like some other people in this room. Um, that age is a factor, but he did seem fatigued against uh, Fuskovic. I think it's going to be an issue moving forward. I, I'm confident in saying I don't think Roger can keep going. The the matches are going to get tougher. Millman used to never, guys like Millman never gave him a problem before, mm -hmm. and he's struggling to get by. Uh, I don't think he's mentally ready to um, handle the long, arduous task of getting to finals and winning. Well, I think he could. I think the biggest problem the, is not majors? him. I think the problem is Djokovic and Nadal, not himself. He's in the quarterfinals. Millman is a, a fine player, and Federer ultimately won the match. And I remember years ago when he was in his prime, he would have matches like this where he beat Yanko Chipserovic before Yanko was a top 10 player. You know, 10-8 in the fifth set in the early rounds. And he had, so, you know, sometimes he got scared. I'm, at Wimbledon, he lost the first two sets and was down a break to Alejandro Faya in 2009, I believe. So these things happen. I thought it was pretty impressive that he came back against Fuksevic, and I thought he was in trouble maybe playing only a couple days after the long marathon, and he lost the first set. So there was every reason for him to kind of fold, and he stormed back and easily won that match. Yeah, but that's the heart of a champion. Yeah, and you can't ask for a better match now against Sandgren. I know he's playing well, but that's not an accomplished player. Yeah. Um, I do kind of think that maybe Sandgren plays similarly to Milman and Fuksevic. Like, they're solid players who hit the ball deep and will take time away from Federer. So I wonder if they could be trouble there, but... I tend to think, like, this is a pretty good draw. He could be playing, you know, a Tsitsi pass or a Zverev or a team, and he's playing an unseated guy who has never been past this stage. So I think that helps him a lot. For somebody like Sandgren, um, with his tumultuous match against Fanini, uh, is do you think coming into playing uh, a legend like Federer, there's a little bit of letdown? Um, he sort of... I've, I've got this far, this is great, nobody ever thought I would make it here, and you just sort of wilt? Or is he say, do you get to this point and say, you know what, I can take this guy, I don't care if he's Roger Federer, I can beat him. I think that because he made the quarterfinals here two years ago, and I mean, it's a kind of strange because he's had success at the majors, he was the fourth round at Wimbledon last year, but I think because he's been here before, that's going to give him confidence going into this one. Um, I think... For whatever reason, he plays very well in Australia and in Auckland. He won last year, and that kind of keeps his ranking afloat from year to year. And I just think that experience will help him. He's beaten Vavrinka at this event two years ago. He beat 
team at this event two years ago. He beat Berrettini. So these are all top 10 players. So he plays very well against the top 10. I think he's like four and two or five and two against top 10 players in his career. So that's kind of a staggering number for an unheralded guy. Um, but I think Federer is probably too much for him, but I think he's going to go into it with belief more so than he would have had two years ago when he was really an unknown. Now he's done it before, so I think he's going to have more belief than usual. Right. All right, and then the top half of the draw, which was played last night, and the big match was Rafa Nadal, and Nick Kyrgios and Nadal got through it in four sets. This is a big win for Nadal. Kyrgios is a tough opponent. It was six all in the third set tie break, so Kyrgios was right there. Uh, definitely could have gone either way at that point. He plays Dominic Team in the quarterfinals, who he played an epic with on hard courts a couple of years ago at the U.S. Open. I think that's a tricky match for Nadal. And then the other quarterfinals, Dan Vavrinka, who beat Medvedev. So that's a huge win for him, and he's really flying under the radar. And then you've got Alexander Zverev, who out of nowhere has won four matches in straight sets. So anything with those four guys that, you know, I feel like any of them could really make the final. Even, uh, Zverev, I'm not so sure, but... No, you don't like you don't like Zverev. I think he's I playing he really were, well, yeah. but he, ha- he had no form coming into this, and now he does. I think Stan is again. He's like he's ha- he's won three majors, and no one's talking about him because he had the injury problems, and right. he's now he's seated fifteenth. But that win over Medvedev, who beat him at Wimbledon and at the U.S. Open, is a huge win. It's a disappointing loss for Medvedev, but I think Vavrinka should beat Zverev in that match. That's my thought. I don't know. I I like Zverev. I think he's playing well now. I think he's playing well now. And, uh, you know, another one I like is Dominic Thiem. I I really like the way he's playing. He beat one of my favorites, so maybe that's why. Gail Monfils. So maybe that's why. And he owns Monfils. Yeah. Never lost against him. Yeah, geez. That's unfortunate. But I, I like the way he's playing. He's one of those young guns for me that has sort of lived up to the hype. Yeah, and he's really began kind of as a clay court guy, and he's had most of his success at the French Open, two-time finalist there, losing to Nadal both times. And he won Indian Wells last year, so he's starting to play better on hard courts. Made the U.S. Open quarterfinals a couple of years ago. Now here in the quarterfinals, he's really had to battle. Five-set win over Alex Bolt. Tough four-setter against Fritz. He can give Nadal problems. He gave Nadal problems at the U.S. Open a couple of years ago, so I think he... I think any of those four players could make the finals. I think Nadal certainly has to be the big favorite. Yeah, yeah. The way he's played so far, the way he handled the Kyrgios match, I thought was really good. And so I think he is the man to beat in the top half. And it looks like we're heading for another Nadal-Djokovic final, as we seem to at this event and at many of the Grand Slams. But I think the other players have good form. And a guy like Vavrinka or a team, or on the other side, maybe Raonic. Speak, cause an upset. Speaking of Kyrgios, how do you think he handled himself in the match with Nadal? There was a lot made going into it. He did some uh, imitations of Nadal in his earlier matches, sort of making fun of him. Um, how, how do you think he handled himself during his match with Rafa? Well, I think over the course of the whole tournament, he handled himself really well. Um, he's on probation from the ATP, <laughs> so whether or not that had a factor or it was just playing at home, it's the Fires going around where he's from in Canberra. Um, for whatever reason, he was pretty well behaved. He kind of had a moment where his hand was bleeding and the chair umpire gave him a, a warning. This was in his third round match against Hatchinoff. So he kind of got lost it at the umpire. But that was deserved because he shouldn't have gotten a time violation for bleeding and trying to tell the ball kid not to touch his bloody towel. Um, but I think he handled himself well. And I don't know what the word... I mean, he respects Nadal 
his play, he's obviously not a fan of some of his antics. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if antics are the right word, but his tendencies. Certainly, he's not a fan of Djokovic at all. Uh, you know, Nadal is the ultimate professional. He's not going to really say anything too controversial about it. And Kyrgios is also, I thought he was pretty low-key this event. And he's, you know, he did have the moment where he's imitating Nadal, but like Nadal is not going to let that bother him in the match. And it's happened for years. Is this something he can carry forward or you think he will carry forward into other tournaments and, and we're, we're going to see a new mature um, uh, Nick Kyrgios? Uh, that's a great question. I don't know. I think it's going to be more challenging outside of Australia where he's most comfortable playing. Like There were a lot of positive moments when he was yelling at his box in his second round match, which was a win over Gilles Simone and... Afterwards, he apologized to them and said he was, you know, being a jerk and, you know, he'll try to be better. And he said afterwards, after the match against Nadal, that he really likes the progress he's made as a person. He doesn't care about his tennis. But so that kind of comment is like, you know, it's going to be tough, I think. Just things happen in a tennis match that get under his skin easily. And again, when you're playing in Australia and the crowd's really into it, it's easy. And now you're going to go to wherever he's playing next, probably be a much smaller crowd and he'll have to deal with not being as engaged as he is in Australia. So definitely something to watch. I think it was a really good tournament for him to beat Hatchinoff. That was a match he like for sure could have lost. He had match points in the third and fourth sets. And so to pull that one out in five was really impressive. Yeah, it was a really good match. I thought he handled himself really well at the end and kept his composure at a time when uh, maybe in the past he would have just imploded and and lost and stomped off the court. So I was impressed. Absolutely. And in that match against Hatchinoff, he hit one of the great shots of the tournament, really. He was down 8-7, and Hatchinoff was serving, and he just hit this great backhand down the line, and he really came through in that moment. And he did lose, I think, unfortunately, the five-setter. You know, it hurt him against Nadal in terms of being able to play his best, but he was still very competitive in that four-set match. And he's, you know... The draw is different, and maybe he could not play one of these top guys to like the quarters, like a sand grin or the semis, like Vavrinka or Zverev won't have to. You know, maybe he could, you know, win a Grand Slam in the upcoming future. So if he's focused and on his best behavior, or even, you know, better than his worst behavior a little bit, I think this could be a big year for him. All right. Any other thoughts from the world of tennis or from? Your life, Andrew, that you'd like to share before we sign off? <laughs> nope, my life is is uh, too long to discuss right now. Um, tennis, I've been very impressed, very happy with the way the Aussie Open has went. I'm looking forward to these matches, and uh, my favorite, Gail Monfils, is out. My favorite, Serena, is out. So now I can just be a fan and watch with the rest of you. All right, so hopefully they'll cheer for the Canadian kid, Milos Raonic. We'll see how Milos can do. Trying to pull off the big upset against Novak Djokovic, the 16-time Grand Slam champion. So when we next speak to you, this tournament will be done and we'll be able to wrap it up, let you know what it all means, what happened, and what's next for the tennis tour, including the potential return of Bianca Andreescu very shortly. So that's all coming up in our next podcast, which will come at some point next week. Until then, I'm Jonathan Strong with Andrew Stewart. Talk to you next time. Bye. So wise beyond your years, I would have been able to control myself. If it weren't for my attention, you wouldn't have been successful. And if 
If it 